Good afternoon. This is Jeremy with the Christmas Tree Farming Podcast, uh, located in Central Kentucky. Um, today is May second or third, twenty twenty-two. Full on spring now. Uh, look at my notes here, like we always do. Just kind of keep a running record of <clears throat> what I've done over the past uh, thirty days or so. Let's see. Uh, somewhere around 16 April, the all of my all of my spruce beginning to break bud. Um, around 21 April, the Turkish fir that I have a very limited amount, they also began breaking bud inside the hoop house only, not out in the field. Um, so, my planning for this year for my second application of uh, pre-emergent herbicide kind of kind of messed up there a little bit a uh, little bit of concern there uh, for the spring pre-emergent I spray a split application so I spray once kind of late March and then wait a wait a few weeks two to three weeks and then I spray again so I, I take whatever my recommendation is and divide it into two and apply it at two separate times well I didn't anticipate Honestly, I didn't anticipate the, the spruce to be budding that fast in the field. And I didn't expect the Turkish to be budding that fast in the hoop house. Uh, for what I found is my hoop house is about seven days. Seven, depending on the species, it looks like it's seven to ten days earlier. So whatever happens in the hoop house is a good determination of what's coming in the next seven to ten days out in the field. If you know if they're healthy and all that stuff so i had some serious concerns there uh, but i did go ahead and spray on 24 april uh, probably a week later and i make note of that probably about a week later than i needed to i probably needed to move it up a week uh sprayed again again spraying flumoxin and prodiamine and this time i added a quart per acre of glyphosate uh, and I also add about almost an entire 50 pound bag per spray tank of ammonium sulfate. Um, spraying setup is sort of newer. Uh, prior to this year, I was, I was doing everything with the backpack sprayer. This year we bought a, a 50 gallon uh, PTO driven tractor sprayer that has a, uh, a small like three foot boom on the back with three nozzles. And anyway, this is this is all pretty much sprayed over the top of my trees. I'm not telling anyone else to spray over top of their trees without, you know, testing your products and your trees and everything. I did a pretty extensive test last year, so I'm pretty uh, confident in what I'm spraying is not going to damage my trees prior to bud break. Um, anyway, more on that later. Um, had to skip. I had to skip uh, several rows of my spruce trees with this second application, as I mentioned, because they're already starting to green up and break bud. That's what it's called for the spruce. Um, so I had to go back with, with about 10 rows, I had to actually go back and backpack spray it instead of using the PTO. So it's my own fault. Uh, 
That's why we take notes. Hopefully next year I'll read my notes and then I'll know that I need to speed up that second application by at least seven days. Um, on, on 28 April, most, if not all, of the spruce had bud. Turkish all budding in the high tunnel. Canaan is beginning to bud in the high tunnel. Nothing in the fields, right? So again, this is that predetermination, or I guess I'm not sure what the right term would be, but gives me a little glimpse into the future of what's going to bud out in the field. The canines that I have, uh, the majority of the canines that I have, they're just plugs um, that I transplanted, and they're in like one quart uh, peat pots, and they're you know relatively healthy, so they bud out faster, especially coming from a greenhouse. Um, but they began to bud on 28 April. Uh, let's see, right right in that same time frame, around 28, 29, 30 April, uh, I went ahead and sprayed next spring's field. So the field that I will plant next year, um, we've done some pre-prep on it, right? So this isn't like the first time we've touched the field. Uh, had rye on that and that rye now is probably to seed like it's almost you know should probably should have mowed it and sprayed it um but anyway it it was it was tall and uh so we sprayed it that'll terminate it and then i will disc that in and then um i'll add the remaining amendments that i need for that field i have the soil test uh, that we initially based it on. I have submitted the soil test for it now to see kind of what progress was made. And I will use the, you know, basically what I plant in spring for that and the amendments that I need will be based on the, the soil test that we got coming back that I should have, I should have this week. So that's kind of what we're working on. Uh, I know I'm gonna need some sulfur. I'm probably gonna need potash. Um, and then we, we go from everything else there. Uh, spring, I will typically go to buckwheat and, and hairy vetch, right? And then we will disc, you know, the plan will disc that in at late summer. And then right at the early, beginning of early fall, we will throw out that rye again. I really like, I really like the rye. I mean, it's just easy and it, it kind of just chokes out everything else so it's a you know it's, it's pretty it's pretty decent very good for erosion because it comes up so quick i mean it's obviously not the best fall cover crop as far as like improving your soil but it's definitely better than nothing and it comes up quick and it's easy to terminate and it's kind of easy to plant into it uh planted into it this spring when i when i we planted into the uh the rye that we had just like we're doing now, we planted fall rye, and then we terminate the rye, and then we then we plant. But we're still kind of planting into the rye because it's it's in a it's in a state of dying. But it actually is uh, works out pretty well as the seedling starts to green up for spring after it's been planted. The rye is dying, and all all is well. Uh, may not be the best possible scenario there. I know I, I know a lot of people completely kill off in fall what they want to plant in spring 
but we left it um, all the way through spring and then we spray to terminate as we're planting the uh, seedlings so you know we'll see how that one turns out um, let's see all the seeds and I'm, I'm just behind on everything you know I underestimate the amount of work that it takes to grow seedlings and plugs from seed um, but all the seed that we had planted you know in our trays and in our core pods and pea pods and all that all that sprouting okay we got dunston chestnut uh which is just just a hybrid chestnut uh for whitetail food plot primarily production it the chestnuts are all coming up the you know the the nordman seed that i have is all about two inches tall you know it's it's the kind of where the you know it's basically sprouted up in the seeds still kind of sticking to the top of the as it's as it's growing you know a couple inches tall but the chestnuts are already over a foot tall you know and some of them are more than that they're leafed out already uh so really i really really like uh the chestnuts there i think my tree pot uh next year i think i'll probably get a little bit deeper tree pot like i have the a deeper tree pot um that i'm using but that taproot basically got to the bottom of that tree pot instantly. Like, so I, I, I think I probably need something nine to 11 inches deep. I think the one that I got now is like eight, seven to eight. So work on that. Uh, the Nordman and inside the high tunnel, my transplants that I've potted up are upsized. The Nordman in one quart and one gallon are uh, budding now, and the and then I said it previously. The the greenhouse canane one quart are also budding. Uh, field canane have not have not done anything. Uh, that's not exactly true. I, I walked the field today, just kind of looking at things, and there's a few canane right now. And then now, as I took these notes at the end of April. Um, but it's actually now the 3rd of May. I actually do have just a handful of canane that are beginning to bud out. So it's coming for the field canane. I'd say this week, the first week of May, second week of May is when the canane are going to probably start budding out as a whole. Um, again, I'll go share, you know, I share some lessons learned. Uh, I shared something previously where we, you know, stored, uh, some plugs in the barn and you know either through airflow or cold concrete we killed the smallest you know canane plugs uh, se you know several hundred of those well I did I did something probably just as bad I guess but you live and you learn so I bought I bought a thousand Nordman uh, I think they're two ones they were Nordman two ones or, I'm sorry, they're not Nordman 2-1s. They were Nordman's 2030s. So they were not transplants. They're just straight seedlings. And I bought a 1,000 of those, and they were beautiful uh, seedlings that we got. And I put, what I did is I trimmed the roots on all of them because all of them, you know, the roots were pretty long. So I trimmed the roots pretty aggressively, right? Well, 
I think I over trimmed them a little bit and that's just my own fault because I'm uh, I planted them I'm trying to put them in containers that are probably a little bit too small for the age of growth that they're in well as I was sorting them out I put the smallest ones into a one quart container and I put the larger ones into a gallon container well almost exclusively the one quarts are transplant shocked really bad to the point where I'm probably going to lose the majority of the Nordman 2030s that I put in those one quart containers and that's my own fault and my wife told me so so you know I should have known better but that's what I had at the time. I didn't want to blow all of my one-gallon pots. But uh, so out of the thousand, I planted a couple hundred in the field. I probably had 500, um, 500 gallons and then probably five, 500 quart. Probably going to lose three or 400 of those quarts. And, you know, you live, you learn. So if you're out there and you get some 2030s and you're thinking, I'm going to pop those up, take it from me. Put them in at least a gallon, okay? Because, uh, I mean, out of all the gallons that I planted and trimmed the roots, uh, I might lose one. I might be losing one out of 50, right, that has, that has a little transplant shock. The rest of them look great. So, uh, But only time will tell. I've transplant shocked several trees in my past, and they turn you know a varying shade of green brown but then new growth flushes out and then they're okay so we'll 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 see what happens um what we got going on right now still working on irrigation inside the hoop house um finally settled on a type of irrigation and i i can't remember what i said last time but I've been using a sprinkler, like a garden sprinkler that you move, and I would run it in one position for 10 or 15, 20 minutes and then move it. Um, that's the method I'm currently using. I did buy a better garden sprinkler. So, uh, well, two things. I got the, I got the uh, frost-free hydrant. I got one installed inside the high tunnel, so I no longer need to run a garden hose from my barn over to the high tunnel. So now my water pressure, and I don't have a water hose getting ran over all the time. So I have... I have water in the high tunnel. Next thing up is power. That's probably probably going to be before winter, uh, or or on the hottest part of summer, so I can get some fans in there. But not right now. So I, I bought a better sprinkler, still the same kind of oscillating fan type sprinkler that's in there, and it covers half the high tunnel easily. Um, I just have to get it little higher off the ground so if i get it up off the ground two or three feet it actually waters pretty good so I, I i run it one spot for 20 minutes and i move it to the other spot for 20 minutes and basically every day 40 minutes worth of water in that high tunnel um i did go ahead and order a four zone timer that that will hook up to a moisture sensor i'm not going i'm not hooking up the moisture sensor as of yet because i just need to really figure out how to what where i would stick a moisture sensor in what pot area to for it to be the gauge for the entire greenhouse so i'm not sure that that's going to work out but i will you know i'll let you guys know um the overhead irrigation solution that i've chosen to go with it's a little bit more expensive 
but it's the it's the overhead irrigation that you could buy from places that sell those caterpillar high tunnels they're the they're the not as permanent high tunnel solution they're smaller narrower um but the but the overhead watering solution basically is a one inch um main line that runs you know down the middle of your high tunnel now for the caterpillar it would be one down the middle uh but for my high tunnel i'll probably need i'll probably need two kits uh, i'm just gonna buy one now done bought one it's on the way and i'll i'll try it out to run you know water on half the high tunnel if it works out great then i will go ahead and order the other one but it's one main line that runs down the middle and then you basically get a punch tool where you punch holes in the main line every two, three feet, and you install these leads. And at the end of the lead, you know, it's like a, a two foot lead, it drops down. And at the end of the lead is a uh, spinning type sprinkler head, I, I should say. I, I don't know the brand of it, but uh, the ones that I got, they're like red, white, and blue, and it has like a little drip loop protector on it and it has a little weight to kind of hold it down and you know if you've got 40 psi roughly coming out of your tap you can run one of them about a hundred foot long with um emitters every i think two to three feet and it'll have enough water pressure for about that amount and that's about what i will need so that would be one zone uh, once I get the other set, if it works great, then I'll order another set and that'll be zone two. My wife's zone in the back of the high tunnel, which is like a garden, vegetables and flowers and stuff, that'll probably be zone three. And then outside my largest pots that I'm going to begin moving around and lining up, zone four will probably be a drip zone where I'm, I'm running mainline and running drip emitters into pots. And this is all the stuff that would be in my two three gallon and above um, so that would be my four zones right now i can i could live with two zones so we'll we'll see how that works um having to water having to manually water inside that high tunnel every day just proves to me how much i have to get this automation done we had to get the water in the high tunnel we have to get this uh, automated timer hooked up and set. We got to get these zones hooked up and set. So this thing is, you know, watering at nighttime and it's automatic so that we we can't mess up and not water something for a day or two and, and hurt things during the heat of the summer. And, and we like to not have to be there, you know, during the summer, like everybody, you probably want to take a vacation for three to five days um, somewhere. And if you... If you have to manually water your greenhouse every day then what do you do right so working on that uh that's where we're at i hope everybody has a, a good spring good spring planting and we'll talk to you guys again in june have a good one